This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. So, you know, for some of the people that don't know you,、um, I'm sure there's very few, but You know, if you can kind of introduce yourself and share your story and, you know, why you're here. <laughs> Yay. So, yeah, I am、uh, an internal medicine physician that has written thousands of prescriptions over the 20 years of seeing patients. And I have a goal of stopping just as many in the next 20 years because that,、um, you know, the journey to become a physician isn't short, it isn't flighty, it is a long haul. And when you get to the other side and realize, I think I'm hurting them more than I'm helping them, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful.、Right. And the person that that,、um, I mean, although I'd suspected there was something wrong with what we were doing and looking for new options and trying to, you know, go to the conferences, find the latest treatments, study what the research teams are doing. And、uh, it wasn't until my mom. Uh, was facing a life or death story at 71, had, had cancer for 10 years of her white blood cells, and, and the best American healthcare. I gave her the best. I went to every appointment, I monitored every lab, I am inappropriately diligent. <laughs> and it was awful. She、uh, had this moment where we were, we knew that her cancer, if, you, if it doubles in If the numbers double in six,、uh, in six weeks, you have about a six month life expectancy if you do nothing.、Oh, wow. We'd been to that cha- chapter a couple of other times, for which time she got chemo twice.、Uh, we knew there was a problem because her, her lymph nodes were all really swollen and we were going to the, the oncologist. The labs are always done about a half an hour before you see the doctor. So we've drawn the labs, we're walking into the place, we're sitting down, the nurse has done her vitals, and she says, I need you to know that if he says chemotherapy, I want you to use those clothes that I put on the top shelf in the closet in the basement at my funeral. I'm not doing chemo again. And within like five seconds, the doctor walks in and I'm like, <laughs> so he says chemo. She has、yeah. terrible numbers.、Uh, your white blood cell count is supposed to be like 5,000, 6,000. Hers is 105,000. 
and most of her little white blood cells are wrinkled and deformed and they're not doing what they're supposed to. So she's been on antibiotics 50 out of the last 52 weeks. Wow. And in the previous six months, I'd been really, like I'd actually taken some days off a clinic to spend it at the medical library, which nobody does because it's not a good business model. Uh, (laughs) But to look into the keto diet and how I could hear about some of these amazing improvements in brain health and reversing depression. I have lots of Parkinson's patients that were really struggling and I was floored that I didn't know about it. Like, how can I not know about an option that, that, that is that powerful? And truly the option to, um, to use a ketone in my mom or use a ketogenic diet had never even crossed my mind. But about the week before this appointment, I had read about some of the protocols being used at MD Anderson for mm-hmm. severe cancer of brain cells, uh, some glioblastomas, and just incredible outcomes and then, of course, I'm taking this really deep dive that took a couple years to, to like surface out of how, how, how is that possible? Right. Well, that's the story of how I got into the ketogenic diet. Um, my mom went on to, um, we, we actually walked out of the uh, doctor's office, and <clears throat> there's this moment where I ask her, uh, we have to take one hallway to take our little pink slip and go order the chemotherapy, and another hallway is the front door. And we're at this choice point, and I said, Mom, do you trust me? And she thinks I'm going to try and talk her into chemo. She's like, of course I do. Kind of flippant and irritated. And I said, no, I mean with your whole life. And she gets her eyes welled up. I get emotional every time I think of the moment. And she goes, I trust you with my whole life. And I said, let me show you what I would do. And we got in the car. We left my car in the parking lot of the hospital. We drove 100 miles to the farm. We binged every carbohydrate in sight, and we put her on the ketogenic diet for six weeks. And we were terrible at it. <laughs> we did it all wrong, but we did it and um, didn't hardly lose any weight. We lost a little water weight, but no like significant weight loss at all. But she, I knew something was better when she didn't eat antibiotic fight. But like the 10th day, she's like, I just feel good. I'm going to stop these antibiotics. I feel it, which is what we had been doing. And she went the whole six weeks without without antibiotics. And so I'm just thinking, all right, so the goal at six weeks was to not double, right? Mm -hmm. And so we go back into the doctor who thinks she's gone for chemo. And, you know, that's another team that takes care of that. So he's there looking at the numbers and he has the blood drawn twice. So I know something's wrong or right or something. And as we wait for those blood results, um, he's looking for where the chemo is. Like I can't find the documentation of the chemo. And I was just praying it hadn't doubled, so I know something's up because it's taking so long and the double repeats. And finally the physician comes in, and he's my colleague, he's my friend, and he says, what have you been doing? And before they had walked in, I said, if he asks any questions, deny, 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 Mom. I have no idea how to explain this. (laughs) And she goes, nothing. (laughs) He goes, did you have chemotherapy done here at this clinic? And she goes, I didn't do it. And we all just like hold the silence. And he's looking at me like, come on, break the silence. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I thought he goes, whatever you're doing, Mm -hmm. keep doing it. I'll see you in six weeks. Wow. You know, that was when she was 71. Uh, She uh, just, the the story any way you can was my first book, just kind of talking about how skeptical I was of this crazy, rad, fat, you know, fad diet that was not, I'm sure it wasn't evidence-based, and I'm sure it was, you know, like everything else I've studied in the last 20 years where 
if you take a bath in acai berry juice, you're going to be all better. Like, no, you're not. Right. You're going to be purple. <laughs> uh, but indeed, uh, the, the lessons I taught her and just the steps that we took and, and then her story has been, um, it's filled many people with hope. It's filled my clinic with a whole bunch of people trying to get off medications that they're not quite ready to get off of yet, but we're getting them there. And it is probably the most fun I've had in medicine in, in 20 years. That's amazing. Uh, you know, I know one of my questions was uh, why you share in stories. And now I totally understand. I mean, uh, just walking me through that story was incredible. Um, I definitely have chills, um, emotions, and it's so touching. And it's more personal because it's your mom. And you saw how much healing and I personally have seen that in my family. But um, just, you know, for reference, like how much did her white cell count go down in that for six yeah. weeks. So um, there was never an evidence that we could get it to go down except when we did chemotherapy. Okay. So that it had dropped. So I was expecting like, don't double by a hundred percent, maybe double by half. So that's, sure. that's, that's a win at this point. Um, but to get it to go down by 30%. Wow. I didn't have a place for that in my mind. In six so weeks. We, in six weeks. Wow. That's amazing. And um, and we did keto terribly. <laughs> we were really rotten. I did like, just drink more cream, mom. I don't know what to tell you. I'm still learning. <laughs> and indeed, she uh, she did feel the best she's felt in years. Um, and she was sleeping like 19 out of the 24 hours at the point uh, that the story started. By the end of the six weeks, she's she's awake for like 12 or 13 hours a day, which is a huge win. And, right. Um, yeah, then from the next six months, the, the rest of the story talks about what happened in that first year of life. She had a, a very critical uh, event happen. And um, had we not been doing keto and really what I like to call really working out her mitochondria, really stressing mm -hmm. her system in a healthy way, she would have died through that first complication of her surgery. She had um, diverticulitis and, um, you know, her, her diverticulitis, exploded so there was stool inside her abdomen oh my gosh. and she needed surgery but she could not she wouldn't have lived through surgery so we fasted for 45 days wow and, uh, so that's the that's the story of any way you can and that was the first book which left lots of questions but um it would definitely if you've never heard of the ketogenic diet and you're like this is a bunch of hooey i was right there with you <laughs> and i start that way in the beginning of the book and then i do some things that i I'm a little snarky about, which is I've been duped by uh, industry studies, so I don't, it's really hard for me to watch and read them and then apply them because I've made that mistake. I've, and you want to trust them, but there's a hidden veil <laughs> unless they're dead. <laughs> if you're doing <laughs> autopsy studies, now I believe you. <laughs> and there were some autopsy studies on what happened to brains of these young adolescents who had seizures. And they had failed Depakote. They had failed uh, lithium. This is like in the 50s and 60s. And they called them the keto kids. And they put them into a study that says, you have to be incredibly compliant with this diet. Your whole family is going to get admitted to the hospital. We're going to put you on the diet. And if you screw it up and you go off of ketosis, you'll have a seizure. <laughs> so they were compliant. compliant. <laughs> uh, so they had forced compliance from a young age. And, you know, the people who say you can't sustain this diet, I want you to talk to these people. Because where you really got my attention was, as they were in the study, part of that um, agreeance was to do an autopsy and let them look at their bodies after they died. So there are a few that have died. And they didn't die with a whole bunch of cancer 
uh, which um, if you've ever seen brain studies of people with chronic seizures, they're awful. They, they have lots of defects. They're not healthy brains. They've really suffered, uh, especially if the seizures started in childhood. But these brains, I had brain envy. And for a brain-treating doctor, that's, that's hard to do. <laughs> so that's where they got me saying, what do you mean there's no neurofibril tangles? What do you mean those, there's no you know, tau proteins hanging out? I mean, relative, like they're, they're 80 years old. They should have lots of it, but they ha- they're seizures. They had, should have lots and lots of it. Right. Where did it go? Where is it? And anyway, so that was my first uh, kind of like, all right, so there is evidence of this. And then as you watch the stories that have come about through childhood uh, seizures, it, it became an excellent place to say, well, they're not dead and they don't die of heart disease. <laughs> right. Let's watch. Let's see what they, let's see their stories. And um, indeed, I've been, um, I just feel like the, the critical moment in my mom's life was a gift uh, yeah. and it forced me to look at something that I, I don't know if I would have, I might have dabbled in keto, but I would have never stripped off of all of the, the barriers and said, okay, we got to do this full bore. We got six weeks. And yeah. I think that a lot of our stories, um, I think when we're going through it, we don't understand and it makes us maybe upset. Like, why did that happen to your mom? But I think, you know, the holistic stuff that happens in our lives are really to do good, learn, right? So even in my journey, um, a lot of my like eating disorder or being Mm plant-based, I just didn't understand a lot of it. And now I do because I get a share from a very personal side. My mom and dad healed and all of these things. And so I think that's where your passion probably, it was all purposeful, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and it's amazing. Um, you know, one thing that has been coming up a lot in the keto or meat-based community is that, you know, you talked about mitochondrial health. And they, um, there's, I guess, a group of people that believe that you need sugar or you need glucose to feed mitochondrial health if you remove maybe some polyunsaturated fatty acids, um, these other things, um, that's what's really going to fuel the mitochondrial. And if you do, or mitochondria, and then if you just live off of ketones, it's a tax on the cortisol, it affects your thyroid. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I call it, That's fake news. Uh, I mean, you look at, <laughs> go to, <laughs> go to uh, Dr. Fung's practice, go to my practice. And um, I can remember the first course I ever bought about keto was in that 2015 range when um, Dr. Fong and a few others had gone to um, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, I think was where it was. And anyway, I bought this course. It was 50 bucks for all these lectures. And Fung was the one who got me when he said, I don't understand a bunch of this. I'm like, thank you, because that's real. There's no literature. I've been there. I couldn't find it at that time. Uh, Or if it was, it was in these all healthy, perfectly pristine patients who have no problems. Well, Dr. Fung is who I send the people to, not literally, but I send them to a nephrologist when their kidneys are failing, they're failing first, they're failing worse. Now, you have to have help or we're going to start digging a hole six feet deep. There is no way out without a kidney improvement. So he, in his frustration, was saying, if we're going to help them, I can't just give them dialysis. So here's this guy speaking my language. And the one thing he said at that point was, I don't understand why their thyroid medicines are being reduced. Like he would have these people like in my practice on thyroid medications. You got to check the thyroid once a year to see if it's still the right dose. But you were abundantly treating them. You were over treating them by the first year of keto. You were really over treating them if you waited like 18 months. 
So there's something that was happening in those patients where the thyroid was restoring to a more normal function. A perfectly normal, not always, but a definitely a decrease in thyroid medication would happen, and it would be in those who consistently stayed in ketosis. Mm -hmm. They didn't fluff around and say, oh, I'm keto for six days, and then I take a break. No, you can, you're too unhealthy to do that. If you are lean and you're a power builder and you don't want to build muscle and you're not really trying to win the race, then you can go play around that way. But if you want outcomes and you want your health to improve, I need your chemistry set to stay the same until you're healthy. Right. And that means you got to measure. You can't play around and say I'm keto because the bar says it's a keto bar. That doesn't work. Your, your metabolism will have a rate at which you are producing a, a fuel called a ketone or you're not. And your body has some unbelievable backup systems to keep the glucose level at least at around 50 or above. So to, for those that think they need to eat those carbohydrates, fake news, your body will do it for you. It's hard. Don't think that it's a easy task. And I think that's really where my efforts have been put over the last, uh, you know, two and a half years was as I started the practice, I found that what I was thinking in my head, I wanted them to do. And there was no really step on how to get them there. Yeah. So I think that when I get patients who call in and say, or, you know, I get these questions from blogs and all other kinds of places, you're stressing out their system. It's ruining their cortisol. You're going to tank their thyroid. Yes. They're going through menopause. They need sugar. Fake news. That is not true. Um, I will show you patient after patient measured outcomes improved through that process. That's not what happens. Um, I know they come in saying that, but I've had plenty of patients over 20 plus years come in and say things that just their conclusions were wrong. And I didn't have to tell them that the labs would show you. It's not my opinion. You can see the evidence there. And when it comes to improving a endocrine system like a thyroid or a cortisol system, what um, is the pathology that is highly associated with a, a swollen brain that's depressed or irritated or inflamed and can't sleep? or has Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or chronic uh, disease, or a, a system that has um, chronically been overweight, maybe only 10 pounds, but it's been overweight, um, a system that has been achy. And you, <laughs> the people who come see an internist, you've got high blood pressure and cholesterol and diabetes and thyroid problems. All of those chronic problems have an endocrine system that's slowly been raising the baseline. Mm -hmm. So to make someone healthy, uh, well, when that, when that baseline gets high, when you go to surge, when you need the hormone, it just gives you this little bump. It just gives you a tiny response. It's not enough relative to where it spends that time. To improve the patient, you have to lower those baseline hormones so that when it's surge of that hormone, it really does peak and come back down. That's hard. That takes time. That is a, a prescription for stay consistently keto if you want to improve that. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. So a lot of my community members eat more meat-based. So if you look at their ketones and their blood sugars, they're not as low as if someone's just on a strict ketogenic diet. So 
maybe their blood sugars in the morning are in the 90s. I think some of it's because the protein converts to with gluconeogenesis. Um, and their ketones, some of them are under 1.0. Do you think that to be ketogenic, you should be above 1.0? Like, what do you think? So there's people in this community then that say, my energy isn't as good. Um, some people see their T3 markers drop, but their TSH, T4 is normal. But in general, they say, I ruined my health or I ruined my thyroid with a meat-based diet. And so mm -hmm. I've always recommended my clients to at least check their ketones. And a lot of them, they're not really above 1.0. Is there a number? Like, what are your thoughts with that? So what you're trying to approximate in each of these patients is what is their insulin resistance? Mm -hmm. That's hard. Okay. In fact, if you want the best data on that, you go back to Dr. Kraft, who did thousands of patients and said, here's this glucose tolerance test where you, do, we measure you, we put a bunch of glucose in and we measure you four or five times afterwards for the next half a dozen hours. And if you do a glucose tolerance test, uh, your lab knows exactly what you're doing. If you pair it with insulin, it's called an insulin sensitivity test. Mm -hmm. Your lab will not know what it is. It will cost you $2,500. You will fight with the lab for over a year to get one of them done. Ask me how I know because it's not protocol. It's a right. research process, so it's really expensive. And the truth is, when it is a great way to learn about what the patient's doing and what happens, but I think it's too infrequently done due to cost and the annoyance of come in fasting, do all this, teach the lab how to do it. If the lab screws it up, you got to come in and do it again tomorrow. So there's pain in doing that test. But what you're really trying to do is measure what is the insulin level at. And if you put a pipette in their arm and you put them in a research study and you measure their insulin every 30 seconds, every minute, you're going to see the most volatile hormone just up and down. It does change. You get the hiccups, it does one thing. You get a headache, it does something. You worry about something. You know, insulin right. is... Finicky. It's it's measuring it once is not fair. That's it's not a real test. Uh, it's what is it doing in general? So a way to to measure that is to look at two of the markers that are highly influenced by what insulin has done relative to yesterday. Meaning your insulin level may be like this. If I put somebody who's type two diabetic on a long acting insulin and I slowly lower their insulin, it's it's that relative change that will you'll see their glucose go up unless they change their diet, or even if they do, sometimes that process is slow. So by measuring a glucose marker and a ketone marker at the same time, you're approximating what their insulin is doing. Mm. So this is where, when I was taking care of my mom, the book I was reading was Dr. Thomas D. Fried's uh, uh, Cancer and Metabolic Disease. And the way they follow that in the research community is they look at the glucose index, the glucose and the ketones, then they reduce the ketones, the ketone number to 1.0, and however many molecules of millimoles of uh, glucose are present at the same time one millimole of ketone is present is your number. Mm -hmm. So the glucose, the ketones are always reduced to one, so you'll often see a glucose ketone index as this number. Like, it's a one. Well, a one means for every glucose molecule, you had a ketone molecule. Um, if it's a two, then you had for every two glucose molecules, you had a ketone molecule. The ketone was always one. Well, that's a lot of stinking math, and my mom was sick. <laughs> so she's like, she didn't want to measure. And so I, I finally, one day in a moment of frustration, said, Mom, take the big number, because she had to convert it from American units, which are millimoles per deciliter, to millimoles. She had nothing to do with that. Uh, so I just said, take the big number, divide it by the little number. 
what do you got? <laughs> and that's how the Dr. Bob's ratio was started. Or, and I didn't, actually, I think some fans came up with naming it. Anyway, the point is, it's the metric that is reflective of um, what their insulin's doing. That insulin sensitivity, it is marked by what is the impact that insulin is having on the glucose and ketones. And the purest time to test it is first thing in the morning, meaning we know there's some things that happen every night before the sun comes up. It happens the same way in your body over and over again. As time improves your body, it gets a little better. So when I get a carnivore patient, and many of my patients are carnivore, but they're carnivore while staying keto, while, while measuring the chemistry. Because if you want that repair, if you want your body to undo these problems, it is possible, but you have to keep stressing your mitochondria to make them healthier. And you can measure that by a morning fasting glucose and ketone ratio. So I have patients check a, a Dr. Boz ratio, which is mathematically all messed up, but I don't care. It's, it takes a big number, divide by the little number. And if you get a number under 80, almost all with my patients will lose weight. Uh, I have lots of people that write in saying, I did great on the keto diet. I'm now carnivore. I did great when I went to carnivore. I lost more weight. But here I am again, stuck at this plateau. Mm -hmm. it, it must be my hormones. Can you check my thyroid? And I'm like, before I waste your time and mine on that, I want you to check what that, that number is every day for a week and send me that. And when you look and it's all those you know, ketone index ratios are above 100, like you're eating, your eating window is too large. The volume mm -hmm. of meat you're eating is too large. You have to push your body to want inside resources and quit putting them through your mouth. I would never speak that way to somebody the first two weeks on keto, the first six weeks on sure. keto. They're learning about how to eat differently. And I think the psychology of that is not to be ignored or to be underestimated how difficult that can be. But when they're advanced and they're saying, but I want more, I want to be healthier. Okay, then go to the next level. And that's where this keto continuum really has mapped out to say, where, what is your eating window? How many hours do you put calories in? And you'll never hear me talk about calories until they get to a puzzle like that. Um, so they're carnivore. Great. I, I know you aren't having wasted carbs then. Good job. <laughs> but you still have some limits that your metabolism needs you to respect. And you won't know what they are unless you measure. And so keto, carnivore, same thing mostly by the time you get to this stage. But if you're going to have good numbers, it's very little. I mean, meat is really where you get most of it. Right. So when you are measuring, I know that it's that kind of under the 80 number, but um, for ketones, is there a range that you kind of ideally look for? And then even, I mean, yeah, I guess even just the ketones. Well, so if you have one ketone for every eight molecules of glucose, <laughs> you're, a ketone of 1.0 doesn't matter. You okay. have so much more glucose around it, it, it okay. doesn't get to fight. So it's, a, it's, a, it's going to compete for the receptor. That, that fuels the mitochondria. So it is always relative to what the glucose is at the time. If they have a high glucose, they're insulin resistant. And I'll tell you, that ketone about one will only stay there for a while before it will start to drift to 0.8 and 0.7. And a couple months later, it's, I, I can't get it above 0 0.5, 0 0.6. I'm like, what's your glucose? Take that eating window, get smaller. So when I look just in general, the other place that I like to just test their mitochondria like how strong is your mitochondria i look at what happens when you fast mm -hmm. and that fasting is not um um 
It's not something under 36 hours. If they say the word fasting and they put it with anything in the 20s or less, I'm like, that's not fasting. That's intermittent feeding. Right. Okay. Fasting is the absence of food long enough that your body gets a reset of that baseline endocrine level. So pushing that fasting down to at least 36 hours is really critical in this journey. Like that threshold, people don't like to step over it. And this is why I really push them to be in a support group. Like do it with a buddy. Don't do this yeah. alone. This is, you're helping your friend by doing it with them. You're helping you by doing it with them. And when they are at the end of a fast, or what I like is the morning uh, fasting glucose after a fast. And that tells me how healthy did your mitochondria, mm -hmm. how did your mitochondria do? And um, I learn a lot from that. That's a huge number for me to look. If you're bringing me in numbers and we're going to say how you've been doing and I don't get to you know, live with you and harp at you, <laughs> I have to see you in the clinic for half an hour every three months or whatever it turns out to be. Um, I need those numbers to say after the fast, you woke up the next morning, what were, you know, you had that big meal and what was the next morning? And if they had a bunch of alcohol and they carved out and they ate way too much, their morning number the next morning is not very good. Gotcha. So, One thing I see with people that fast um, for the 36 or 48 hours is then the times that they're eating, they're not as hungry because obviously you're burning ketones. And then you see this kind of pattern of under eating, right? So you're like, oh, I'm losing weight and I'm just going to continue to eat less. So it's great that they're fasting and you see the ketones, but then on the days that they're actually refeeding, they're not eating enough. And then I see some hormones tank for that reason alone. And they're like, you know what? I starved myself to death on this keto diet. And now I need to go back and support my metabolism by eating carbohydrates. So which hormones are not good on the eating days? Um, which hormones are not good on the eating days? What you mean, like ghrelin or like hunger hormones? Yeah, no, so, so you say, I see their hormones tank. What hormones are you talking oh. about that when they're fasting no. and then eating? Um, I don't see that personally, but it's when they're, um, it's just, you know, people, I guess on the internet will say, okay. <laughs> in general, my hormones, you know, like, so typically they're talking about either their sex hormones or their thyroid, right? Because they're saying that now my I'm completely hypothyroid and I never had that issue before. Um, some people also say, uh, now that I'm introducing glucose or other carbohydrate foods, now all of a sudden I have food sensitivities that I never had. And so there's, you know, it's all these, um, I guess, uh, majority is thyroid and sex hormones. Yeah. So looking at thyroid hormone, it is a very important rule that you do not measure during a fast. It really does do abnormal things during the fast. Your body is, I've had people come in and they show me these numbers and I'm like, tell me what you were doing the 24 hours before this test. Oh, doc, I was getting ready for that test. So I fasted for 48 hours. I'm like, obsolete. Your thyroid responded to that. It did this. It is a healthy thing that it did this during a time when you weren't eating. If you're looking for what is your hormone, your thyroid normally doing, you can be OMAD for three days before you do the test. You cannot do it at the end of a seven-day fast or end of a three-day fast. And so that's problem number one. <laughs> number two is that the sex hormones of uh, testosterone and estrogen, uh, we have this measured. We have this evidence that the longer they go in a state of ketogenic fuel, the stronger the metabolism base for the surging of those sex-based hormones. I mean, you look at, um, um, you know, as people, the, as people age, especially that 
perimenopausal uh, stage for a woman, there are lots of things that go wrong. They go horrifically wrong if they've been inflamed for 20 years. Right. If they've had this low level problem, you know, and I want, when I'm taking on a, a menopause woman uh, and they're new to my practice, I don't let them tell me any current problems. I want to know what you've been doing to you the last 20 years. Because it really sets up to say, how long is it going to take me to help you undo those? And you're not going to feel better for the first couple of months. You're, you're in a mess. You're headed for a bigger mess, and that's why you're in to see me. The symptoms are crying to you. And if you want them to be better, we have to build them. These hormones don't just come from nowhere. They come from fat. And when your insulin is high, it, it holds all the fat-based hormones in your fat cells, but it also doesn't allow them to trickle through that endocrine process the way they're supposed to right. it is a protection to undo that i can't undo it in two days i can't undo it in two weeks it's going to take us six months of consistently staying in ketosis and then keep flexing and working out your your mitochondria and we have little ways we do that for you that are stressful for your body they're not fun they're fasting for you know 48 hours they're asana every day for you know six weeks um they're uh, an exercise where you sweat uh, we do, we never start that at the beginning of the ketogenic diet. I want you getting through the psychology of how to eat differently. Right. But I give you the expectations that those hormones, when patients come in feeling that, the consequences of what has happened over those last two decades, they are in this tiny little level of production. Where is it stuck? I, I can't get to it until you lower the insulin. That's a Dr. Boz ratio of at least, when I have endocrine problems, I push them to a Dr. Boz ratio of 40. <laughs> if they're not getting there, we got to cut down the eating window. We got to move the eating time closer to sunrise. We got to fast more often. And those are tough conversations because people get irritated when I say that. Yeah. I think the, I think it's also just in the community space. It's, you know, there's this just con constant, I, I don't maybe dogma about fasting messes up your hormones. Um, not eating enough sugar messes up your hormones. Um, there are some people that say ancestrally, uh, we were not in a ketogenic state all the time. It's not good for our health. Um, you know, people found berries and that would push them out of ketosis often. And it's just, um, and then people will even say, if you look at people that have been ketogenic for a long term um, time, they look aged because their, their cells are aging faster. And I mean, I fake news. go back and look at <laughs> with 60 years of ketosis because they had seizures. Uh, they had, I mean, telomere length is a perfect way to measure yeah. that. And you look at the telomere length of these old people who died after, you know, seven decades of ketones. They had great telomere length but compared relative to their age. No. Um, if you want other evidence, go back and look at the video I did in 2012. And then look at me now. Just look at my skin. Look yeah, your skin is glowing. Like, it doesn't take an... A rocket science is to say <laughs> that's not what happens when you stay consistently keto. I mean, you go on my Instagram page and it's really boring. I post my numbers when I fast. <laughs> All I have time for people. Uh, I mean, there's a few things that I'll tweak about family, but mostly it's you. I'm showing patients. This isn't something I'm asking you to do that I'm not willing to do. Right. Um, you know, my mom did a 72 hour fast for, the, for two years straight every week. Wow. And she took her age of even though her age on the clock was somewhere in her 70, you know, 71, two, three, four, five, six, you know, at the beginning, she looked almost 90. She was terrible. She was a zombie. She 
made every piece of clothing I'd had until I was in the sixth grade, and she didn't know how to use a sewing machine one day. That's a tragedy in a mom. And by the time uh, that health had restored, she looked 45. She looked my age. It was beautiful. Uh, it, it was a wonderful uh, testimony to say, no, yeah. she didn't get to mess around. I'm, <laughs> I was watching. Uh, Mom, if you want the outcomes, you got to do the work. And when patients thought, so I see the dogma out there. And I, I yeah. also want to make sure you hear the words that it isn't a race. You took 20 years. It took decades to get to this point. So it's one of the ways that um, when I designed the book that you have, it's the, it's the protocol I use in my clinic. And hopefully, God willing, I get to push publish on the workbook. It was supposed to come out with it, but it didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm waiting for the Library of Congress number, and then I can push print and put it on Amazon and say, checkbox done. Because uh, the, the workbook is what I have my patients work through. That I want you understanding that this isn't a race. And if you sprint on a ketogenic diet because you call me and you've had a heart attack and you've got, or you've got cancer, they want everything done. And I'm saying this is 30 years we're trying to reverse. Slow down. You need a team around you that does this with you. That my mom could race because she had me. Uh, and that might not have been the best. You know, I, It worked out in her case, but that's not probably the right thing for most people. That I run a free support group every week. It was this morning, Friday mornings from 8 o'clock till 9.15 every morning in my, in my clinic. And anybody who knows what the heck a ketone is can show up. Because we're showing, I want to show you what does it look like to be in a community of people who are struggling to get better. And this is what they look like. And I think I do more medicine in that one hour a week than I do the rest of the week combined because of how much their empowerment as they leave it back into their families and back into their friends that says, I'm not perfect, but I'm working in the right direction. And I look around that room and I see these other people who have done amazing at improving their health, at reversing their, their chronic diseases, at stopping some of the medications that don't need to be started once that inflammation and once your mitochondria are stronger. And, and I fall off too. I mean, I go back and look at my numbers. When you don't see posting for a couple of weeks, it's not because I'm being great. <laughs> I love your message because it's so real. And, and the thing is, I love that you work with real patients, right? The thing about that I see on social media, and I know I'm on social media too, but um, a lot of these influencers or doctors on the space um, that are really big or dietitians or whoever they are, um, they don't work one-on-one -on -one long-term with people. So in the studies, um, theoretically, it makes sense, right, to do this and this, and maybe we shouldn't be in ketosis all the time, but they don't see the day-to-day, -day, really the average person that's sick that may only eat meat but are still not in a ketosis state or may actually need fasting from all the damage they've done. And so then when you see these absolutes or extremes online of everybody should be doing this or everybody should be doing that or no one should be doing this, it's heartbreaking because in my practice, like I don't see that, right? Like I hear the real-life people that say, the meat-based diet without maybe supplements or without healing or without purposely eating a bit more fat to be in a ketogenic state is not working. And you can't share everyone's story, right? But you see it and you mm -hmm. see that the, the social media space is not always, you know, the full picture. And so I love that you're sharing that you have these 
even these communities where you share and then they all uplift each other and that's like the power of community and healing and Amen. having hope Amen. and belief right mhm mm yeah i mean one of the experiments that i always ask other providers who want to come shadow me or you know watch how i do it if i said before you do that uh, i want you to host a support group for for 6 weeks mm -hmm. that um i encourage providers to keep it free because <laughs> don't try to build this to insurance there's no such thing in that book of insurance code <laughs> what do you mean it's free what do you mean like people talk about their healthcare in front of other people I'm like guess what that that's actually legal they're consenting adults that know that we're going to come and if they ask me a question i will answer it it's not medical advice if i'm not sure. their doctor blah 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 okay so i'm not trying to reinvent the wheel i'm trying to be in a community and show you that your support for one another is as powerful or probably more powerful than coming to see me and say guess what i'm going to tell you to eat less eat at more, more narrow times i'm going to tell you to measure i'm going to tell you to all, do all these things that i've already told you to do but you just need somebody to check on you right and when i have these providers do that it it is empowering first of all i think it strengthens a practice because if you've seen patients long enough <laughs> you know there's that patient who comes in and you've asked them to do this thing and they can't seem to do it and they tell you that they're trying and that they've maybe done it once in 6 weeks and they wonder why they're not better and in a moment when you're alone behind that closed exam room door you do everything in your power to not roll your eyes and sigh because you're like i can't fix this without you changing some behavior right. <laughs> there's no script that's going to make you healthy but what happens in a group is it is a positive peer pressure that yeah. really changes them and i don't care if it's um my mother used to have a stitch and bitch session she would go to they take their needle point and they'd sit around they talk about their husbands and what else was going wrong on main street and and they leave and they're happier women because of it <laughs> okay what was happening was a community a sharing a a um i don't care if it's a bible study or a a uh, city council prep meeting when you're in community sharing a struggle of trying to improve something uh that's the reason that aa is so still a sustainable part of every recovery program that we 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 run it's free it's fill, filled with people who have the same problem as you and when you're messing up there is nothing like another addict call you out saying <laughs> probably should be coming to these meetings a little bit more <laughs> i mean so what when i ask those providers to do that it is such an empowerment to their practice that it it becomes it's free it's like it's my favorite hour of the week because i make sure that those patients that are really the ones that struggle they need someone else to say this yeah they think that i'm i mean there's a lot of distrust in medicine when i write a prescription or i tell them this and they go to the internet and say there's a class action lawsuit because you you write a prescription with this prescription and then i used to be on that one And I'm like, oh, good grief! That's not real. I mean, that that set those aside. Uh, what what really becomes a problem is when the patient comes in for advice and then looks for every reason why what the doctor's trying to show them is is wrong. Right. And when you bring people in a community and you say, look, there are people with much worse health than you. There are people with much healthier health than you, and they're all working on themselves trying to improve something that's difficult. it's the community and that sharing that doesn't cost you money this is a come together share and then try have grace for yourself as you go through the next week it's that's a, it's a, yeah it's great 
So in your book, um, would you say that all the things you're talking about, the steps of even if you're brand new to a ketogenic Mm -hmm. diet, um, the steps to kind of get to be acclimated and then even the ratio you're talking about, is it all in this book? And Yeah, so there's. I was trying to think of what page it was on. I I actually have your book sitting right here too, like my (laughs) sticky notes. (laughs) I know. (laughs) There's a really important page um, in this book halfway through that is the oh. beginning of what i say part two um, let me find the page number um, i see a um the a1c test score is that is it that one what page is that uh 422 uh i think it's before that okay oh i see, um this one no this is cholesterol oh it's so good you have all these reference ranges Hold on here. Actually, I should go. Oh, uh, 256. Oh. I bet you that's it. That sounds right. Yes, that's it. Keto- this is the steps. These are all 12 steps of what. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's exactly. That's the, that is the outline of what the process is. And so when they're in beginner stage, uh, you don't get to go into baseline until you can graduate from, from some of those levels. And people come in and they're, they're going to start the ketogenic diet and they got a blood glucose monitor and a blood ketone number. I'm like, put it away. It's not the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. To- you want them to use the ketone strips. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm like, you need to be peeing ketones. They're cheap. They're easy. They're safe. There's no poking your finger. You can't get out of it. And it is that beginning. Uh, and so then you walk them through this saying, okay, if you get to number four and that's all you can do, um, mm. Stay there. Just get good at that, that one and, and keep coming because you're going to see that someday something's going to click and you're, say, and you're going to look across the table at somebody and say, I want what she has. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever had that moment in life where you're suffering and you're in a difficult phase or life's got you down, how do you, how do you burst out of it? And you just look at, a, at somebody who's doing well and say, just can you give me a bottle of whatever the heck they got? Right. And that is real. And if you've ever struggled in life, it's those moments where you're like, somebody help me get there. Yeah. And in a group, a healthy group. Uh, there's no shame. There's no scolding. Um, there's only a come together, try to do your best, check in with everybody, keep it to an hour. I do an hour 15 because that's what works in my world here. And, and then come again, and then come again, and then come again. And I talk about in there some of the, I've been running groups for addiction for 20 years. So there's oh, okay. some rules like, if you want a healthy group, do not let those newbies speak until the very end of that hour. Do not let them speak. They will run your meeting. They will take over that personality of your group in a heartbeat. They wait till the end. Newbies, mm. veterans check in first. They show you the culture. Okay. And as those newbies want to talk, oh, just wait, we'll get to you. <laughs> okay. Because they have to learn. There are mirror neurons in your brain. I'm trying mm. to engage. It is not an accident. I am helping you. And so there's those steps that I didn't invent them. I just follow the, 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 the things that work, and they're outlined in there. And I do this thing for patients that if you're hosting a group and you've got a steady rhythm, ask me to be a guest lecturer. Ask me to zoom in. I will gladly do it. There's no charge. I want to help you. And answering your questions personally comes when you've been trying. It's that frustration in medicine, and, it, and I'm sure you feel this as well, that you get into the stage of practice where, I'm lifting harder than you, and it, I can't. Um, but when there's a group, the group, <laughs> the group lifts. As long as you kind of keep 
the bumper cars all in, in, in the right lane. Uh, it's a very, it's a healthy place to find healing. Do you, so then do you check your ketones every day? Testing. Okay. So checking ketones <clears throat> is important. If my patients are in the phase of getting healthier, um, I, and they're in that pretty good stage. Like I don't have them check until they really can get to a, you know, a beginner's baseline metabolism, meaning a metabolism okay. that you can live at forever. That's when I say, okay, now I'm going to peek at your metabolism and here's how I do it. You're going to check your morning fasting glucose, morning fasting ketones. You're going to plot them on this chart. You're going to bring that chart back into me in two weeks. And then you look at that to see where they're at. And before they ever bring it in, they know. They know when they're like, every glucose is above 100. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and they document what time the last little bite of food went in the day before. I'm like, this needs to be earlier. And yeah. you know, we point out the behaviors that they've plotted out. So it becomes this reality. I mean, I'm a coach for accountability. It's like a mom, but it, it really is. <laughs> it's not as hard of medicine as a lot of things. Um, but it is medicine that gets them healthier again. Right. And I think it can be replicated without a physician. I, you don't need a doctor to do this. You need a support group. And so that's um, when personally the things like I don't post food on my mm -hmm. support group. I don't post food in on the doctor on the the private Facebook group where I coach people. Um, it's kind of like like alcoholics shouldn't be posting about booze. Yeah. Uh, it's like food porn. Like you're just it's so funny. People. Yeah, I don't actually post. So I struggled with an eating disorder, and so I am very mindful of comparisons. Right. I mean, it's uh, funny, and in those group therapies, they always made the newbies talk last, and I didn't realize that. Um, <laughs> so it's setting the stage. That's interesting. But so I, I don't like to post because then people will always ask, oh, is that how many meals did you eat up with that, right? So if anything, I'll share just one meal, and I won't share all the other ones. Sometimes I'll share my kids because my kids for four and six eat a lot of meat, um, but I don't like to because then I don't want, oh, well, she's that thin, so therefore I should look like her mm -hmm. if I ate that much, and I hate doing that. And I, that's why I don't show even pictures of my body because it's your journey, right? And our yeah. journeys are so different. And so I, mm -hmm. and I think that's from my whole eating disorder therapy, but it's just I hate yeah. the comparing. And I mm -hmm. think it makes a lot of sense not to share exactly. And some people use it for accountability. I get it, but. Yeah, no, uh, the, the process of focusing on the food, it's, it's the wrong focus. Like I'll yeah. tell people, they, they, they say, they, in, in the book, I tell patients, clean out your cupboard. If you don't have a picture posted of your cupboard by the end, here's your address <laughs> and I will drive to your house to look at your cupboard. I'll have the garbage bag. And I've done that. And they're like, I believe it. What? <laughs> like, Seriously, you want my help. You're paying me to help you. This is part of it. And if you won't do it, this is the step that I will do. Choose to be on the wagon or not. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be filled with grace, but you have to do these first steps. And it does not involve shopping. And they're like, what am I going to eat tomorrow? I'm like, you'll be fine. Wake up in the morning, drive through McDonald's and have a sausage patty and egg. Let them keep the bun. You know, like th that kind of stuff. Like, make it simple. Quit thinking right. that far ahead. Quit planning with food. Quit focusing on the food. It is on the health that and the behaviors. And I, I think that comes with twenty years of addiction medicine, where you're you look at behaviors. I don't care what your addiction is: sex, drugs, rock and roll. Find something that's easy to abuse, and people do. Right. When you want to change the behavior, it is a a mindfulness. It is a prayerfulness. I, I love that there is a space in medicine that allows me to use science to use community and to use faith that, mm -hmm. that if any of those pillars are missing, you're going to only graduate so far.
and that that space um, ha, to me has been a gift for the people that join me. Uh, even those that don't have a higher, don't believe in a higher power, I'm like that doesn't change my journey. I will show you my example. That's what I'm doing here at this group, and it's um, just keep coming. Yeah, I think the hope aspect is so important. I mean, for me, it's I obviously believe in God, but if you don't have hope and you think you have to find, and I see this in some of my clients where they're trying to figure out every little nuance, every little new science, like, should I be supplementing this? Like someone's been talking about this lately or the new drug or the new way of eating. And I'm just like, or the new way of fasting or the foods to eat right next to your period. And it's like, slow down. And ah, I know that I know that client. <laughs> <laughs> and have faith. Um, believe in your mindset, right? Believe that there's hope that you can heal because there's a lot of doubters of I've tried everything at this point. I don't really think this is going to help, but I'll still do it. And that mindset, you know, you're calling the world to be negative towards you, right? Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. that aspect of hope is huge. It's so huge in a um, in healing. And so yeah, I think those three pillars make so much sense. Um, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, I know you have young kids too, but do you think that kids from a young age to do a ketogenic diet, should they always be in a ketogenic diet? What's your opinion on that? When I'm feeding them, they are. So <laughs> yeah, I have three sons. I have an adopted Wuhan, China daughter okay. from, yeah, she is a foreign exchange student. And during the COVID, she can't go home. So I have a, you know, it's not an official adoption, but she's my, I'm her American mom. Uh, so I have four teenagers that I guide through the universe. And when they're around me and when they're in our house, we don't do that. It's not, we don't buy it. And people say, there's no cereal. I'm like, get over it. There's no cereal. It's a terrible food anyway. Um, so, but I am, I am happy to, I mean, I'm not uh, dissuaded at all that they are keto all the time. Their mom has a ketogenic world and their home is keto. There are so many places for carbs. They'll figure it out. They'll find it. Yeah. Uh, but I have, a, you know, we have athletes. I have a, um, my, my middle son is a very strong debater. And so he knows that, uh, like, I'll tell you a couple stories about how my kids have learned that brains work better when you don't burst glucose and then get that sleepy feeling afterward. Right. And that's a human thing. So our world got keto when Grandma Rose needed uh, support systems. And I said, this is what we're doing. Everybody's on board. No questions asked. And um, the, they all got a little healthier, their acne got better, things improved in their life. Um, but as they journeyed the next couple of years, um, my middle son would be in these debate tournaments, and they would start at 6 o'clock in the morning, and like the, as you go through the day, uh, the good, uh, the winners continue. So you have this advanced, really fast thinking debate going on. And if you get a sluggish brain, all bets are off, doesn't work. So he would sip on ketones throughout his debate, <laughs> and you know, he won national debate contests. And is very—he loves this. He loves to argue with his mother. Um, <laughs> but the point was, is that he doesn't like to talk about keto. He thinks it's—you know—he's he, my son. He, yeah, I'm the mom, I get it. Right? Yeah. Uh, but he definitely knows when to use it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have a, a, um, our youngest son is a wrestler, and so mm-hmm. um, I became the sports team unofficial. <laughs> um, sponsor uh, for ketones because if you've ever been around a wrestling team you have to make weight right before the match and these uh, disorders that are in girls they show up in boy wrestlers because they cut weight inappropriately right and i said let me show you the hack 
about what, how to keep muscles strong, how to not do any muscle wasting, and what that looks like. And if you look in the world of sports, if you want to cut fat, you want to keep muscle, a higher level of a ketone is important. Supplementing with ketones after workout, supplementing with ketones, especially if you're fasting to, to weigh-ins, uh, much, they didn't get angry, they didn't have that, I had parents writing me saying, this is the best wrestling season ever, because he's not crabby. <laughs> like, there you go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. The point is, is that my kids use it. I, I've taught them places to use it. Um, I know that also those, uh, those kids that had seizures gave us the best example of the long-term health. I, and I'm not basing this on a whimsical, you know, experiment with my kids. I I have very good confidence that they're they're getting plenty of carbs. (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) know. Um, they're teenage boys. I don't want to know that. But I do know that uh, I feel safe with what they've got and how we use ketones in their exercise routines and in other places where they want advanced performance. You know, on on the discussion with the performance, I get a lot of questions um, about, you know, being a um, like a supreme or ultimate athlete and that you need to kind of carb up before. What's your (laughs) take on that? I would have you Google Ryan Lowry's team. At okay. the Applied Institute for uh, something. Oh, are they in Florida? Yes. I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, they're great. So they've done a lot of this. They put. Uh, they had two teams. Uh, in fact, I, I had a slide that I was going to show you uh, because I've done a couple of talks on this to say, here's what the science says, people. When you carb cycle, uh, what, what athletes want is a stronger muscle that's easy to recruit meaning that's easy to fire, and they do not want the excess fat. The excess fat, A, is a buff thing, but it's also, uh, there's other places to store that energy where you can access it quicker than a fat in between muscle cells. So um, they took these athletes, they kept them the same calories, isocaloric between both sides. They're both trying to increase their power, Um, and one was ketogenic during the week, and on the weekend they could have whatever they wanted, uh, they were specifically told carb up during the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other team needed to stay consistently keto for the six weeks. Uh, they both lost the same amount of weight during that time. Uh, but when looked at the consistency of what weight they lost, the people who were carb cycling lost muscle, whereas mm-hmm. the people who were consistently keto leaned up. Their, their fat content by DEXA, by really good measurements, was uh, significantly less. So you say, well, how, what's that measurement? How does that work? And you, there's a, several other studies that get into this, but when you look at the breakdown for muscles, we can see that the muscle breaks down when calories are restricted and the exercise is being pushed if there isn't a minimum level of ketones, if they're not in mm-hmm. ketosis. So if we're looking at metrics at this point, this is a healthy person. This is not my metabolically challenged, my cancer, my diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, thyroid. These are my athletes. Then I say, you better have a ketone of about one. Uh, most days. And if you don't, I would supplement. Um, okay. I would also cut their carbs and tighter eating window and earlier in the day. All that stuff is real. But, uh, but I would also say get the ketones up. What a circulating ketone does is protects you from muscle breakdown. In my elderly where they're being treated for cancer and I am super worried about muscle uh, wasting, mm-hmm. I want, we know their energy demands are super high in an advanced cancer patient and we do not want them losing the muscle weight they come in saying, I don't want to lose weight. My doctor doesn't want me to lose weight. I'm like, what you're really saying is you don't want to lose muscle or bone. You, you can afford to lose fat. That's where energy is coming from. Make the cancer cell use that. 
And that means they have to have a consistent number of ketones. They need to supplement to keep that ketone level up. Again, that's a different place where you're going to measure and follow that. Um, so the, when people start talking about carbon up, I show them that study thing, you're, you're playing a terrible game. You're, I don't want to play that game. If you want to do this, here's the rules, and I'll teach them to you. You can choose whether or not to follow them, but that, that carb cycling for advanced performance has been studied. That's very easy to show them that. Well, thank you. That's good. I didn't even know about that. So now I could totally use that because when people are like, can you carb cycle? I'll always just go, I mean, it's up to you, but I don't, you know, personally use that. Um, but I'm not a, you know, a crazy athlete, so I can't as empathize as much. So I try to be sympathetic, but maybe that is not because people will say I use like one to two tablespoons of honey before I work out. And I'm just like, okay. Um, yeah, so I'll just quote that. So, study. You know, looking at like the Jeff Volick team and the Steve Finney, they've done a lot of athlete studies. And as, as you watch what they study within their athletes, uh, I, th I find it fascinating to see what those muscle biopsies show when the patient had, when the athlete had been keto for six weeks, keto for three months, and keto for, I think it was 18 months, maybe over, somewhere between 15 and 18 months. And at first, uh, that that beginning keto person that's an athlete has much less fuel to run their cells. They are, their burst is going to be less than, than the av than they were. By the time they get to three months, they have a storage inside their cell of triglycerides and glucose that is much more replenished. It's, it's, it's got a bigger power. By the time they got to 18 months, the cell fuel that's parked right next to the mitochondria before the ketogenic diet, it was a whole bunch of glycogen, a whole bunch of sugar. Right. And the, the fat cells were stored over in the garage, way down away from the, the, key, the mitochondria. By the time you get to the 18 months, that mitochondria has the fat, the triglycerides, parked right next to the mitochondria. And the sugar is now parked way over in the garage. And if you look at the difference, it is that that cell now has that skill to power from glucose or, or fat, they're right there in the cell, but it has a strong and reliable power from a fat because it's practiced that for 18 months. And that literature really helps me to say, if you're trying to win and you want to like age healthy, you know, you get athletes are saying, this is a goal I have for six weeks. I'm like, when you're done with that goal and you really want some health, come back. I don't want to mess up your goal. I want you to win. Good job. But after that, if you want to be sustainably healthy, we got to do this for a while before you go for the next event. And that's where I say, get in this state, stay there, measure these things, and, um, and I send them to Bullock's and Finney's research because they say, I don't believe this. I'm like, go look. <laughs> no, that's really good. I think that's the difference with just becoming, you know, producing ketones and being fat adapted. I think there are really big differences, even for me. Um, I'd say for the most of my last four years, I've been ketogenic. And so if I went, maybe the first year, if I would go work out without any food, it would be really hard to work out. I, I might've been pre-diabetic. Um, now, if I work out um, fasted, there's nothing. So I just thought, oh, I think I'm just healthier. But that, you know, what you just shared makes so much sense now for me personally. So um, you know, as we are wrapping up, uh, where can people find your book? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of graphics in here and resources that, you know, make it really simple, which I think would be helpful for a lot of people. Um, where can people find your book? Well, so I'm a big fan of audiobooks. If you do the audiobook, it comes with a PDF of all those images and charts okay. and stuff. So that ha that's helpful. 
Um, the audiobook tells the story uh, of, and I think that is what makes it possible. There's a lot of uh, keto books out there that are awesome reference books, of which I find yours excellent. Like, I'm not Thank kidding. You. I have it marked because I'm like, <laughs> this took a ton of time. You did a great job. Thank I want you. to make sure you hear this is on my shelf. <laughs> so if you're looking for answers, can't get any better. Very, very good job. Thank you. I, I, I don't give that compliment out easily. So good job. Thank you. Uh, so Audible is a great place to go for the audiobooks, and using the the PDF is a great um, beginning. I find that when people are sick, uh, I like to read, I like to look and write my books, but not everybody does. Um, right. So if they're sick, uh, the easiest book to listen to is definitely Any Way You Can. That's a shorter story. It's very passionate about my mom. Um, but if you're looking for the steps that I use in my clinic, uh, that um, the book is in any bookstore. You can ask for Keto Continuum, and they'll they'll get it to you the next day. Um, but it's on Audible and it's on Amazon. Okay, and you know, as we're wrapping up, like, uh, what would be like a big tip for someone that's just starting, and then a big tip for someone that's you know been keto most days, but you know still struggling, like whether it's weight gain, energy, just doubting the diet. You know, so maybe a tip for a beginner, and then a tip for someone that's been in it for a little bit okay so beginners the only thing you need to remember is 20 20 total carbohydrates a day that's it don't count calories don't count fat don't count the hairs on your head just count for 20 carbs and when you get two weeks in a row where you're at 20 carbohydrates a day then then the next levels are so much easier so in my beginners they get really excited and I, I thought you're making it way too difficult. This is not that hard. 20 total carbohydrates a day. I recommend that chronometer app, which is a little mm-hmm. bit harder to use on the first few steps, but a much better metric me- medically. If I have to find a nutrient that's dif- deficient, every one of my patients has to use chronometer app for me to find it. That's a great little resource. It's free. It's awesome. Um, the advanced uh, keto person is if you've tried keto and fallen off, or if you've tried keto and you feel like you're doing stable wonky keto, um, there's nothing like a support group. And if you want to know how to do that, um, my online course, anybody who's taken the online course, I take all those educated people, I put them in one spot. And then I say, all right, you guys teach each other and I'm going to watch. And when you run into problems, I'll come save you. And so I, I monitor what they're saying and how they're teaching. And they form these groups. And then I come visit them. <laughs> I talk to them. And... I just find that little model, which doesn't cost it. I mean, the online course costs something, but it's as cheap as a doctor's visit. And what you get from that is a support group, a network of people trying to stay consistently keto, following the rules of some evidence. You don't need me. You do not need a doctor. You just need a group of people trying with you. And I find there's lots of grace once you show up and you give it to yourself, you spread it to a friend, and then you have a community of it. That's really good. Um, really quickly about the 20 grams. So, you know, I, and I know this is making it complicated, but I just want to confirm. Um, so, you know, some people say net grams, total mm-hmm. grams. So are you saying 20 total. net or total? total. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, again, I take care of the sick patients, right? There's some people who did just fine with those net carbs, but not if you're going to, not if you want sustainable improvement. You got to cut the crap, quit playing the game, go the real distance, and it's, it is, you do get a great outcome, but it's the real deal. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been, I, you know, I was excited for our talk and I, I just, and I know we have very, you know, similar values. So I've yeah. always been mm -hmm. very grateful. And um, this has been an honor for me, honestly. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you for answering um, a lot of the information about misinformation about a ketogenic meat-based diet. So this is incredible. I will leave this on Instagram. I'll share it on Facebook. I'm sure the people on Facebook are like, what happened to the live? a lot of people that, are, that follow me that I, I want to learn a little bit more about you. So I constantly yeah. have people saying, can you take me on as a patient? And I'm like, you're not nearly sick enough. <laughs> so how do you recruit people? And what would my patients or what would my people like to know from you as far as a resource for helping them if they get stuck? Yeah, so um, I my practice right now is fully booked. Um, <laughs> Good for you. So, so um, and I'm trying to work on a group because I feel the same. I think that sometimes pe my clients will look at me more like a policeman, right? So they're like, it's confession time. <laughs> it's and mom, I think that, right? I just yeah, and I, right, and I would love for my clients to be in one community so they can talk to each other and are you know by working with me, there may be similar value systems and. I think all of my clients, I love them. They're all genuinely good people. They're more, um, I always try to push the, you, you, this is a long distance marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, you know, you didn't get sick overnight, so you don't expect it. And so a lot of them have that mindset too. So I think having that community would be super helpful. I just mm -hmm. need to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's real. And honestly, I would tell you, just do an experiment for six weeks when I tell providers to do this and they're all kind of like, ah, that's not for me. I don't think I can do that. I'm like, just don't say no. Just say yes to this one thing. Put a six weeks in your world and say, anybody that shows up, I'll be there. Yeah. And then don't flinch when it's someone you don't know or it's, a, <laughs> you know, just don't flinch and say, all right, I'm just answering your questions. And I, I turn it into a check-in. I say, how was your last week? Tell me something good about your, your accomplishments and something you struggled with. And then we kind of go around. Not everybody gets to talk. The timer wins. It's one person, <laughs> you know, hogs the, I try to, I try to not let that happen, but uh, it really changes that they get to see and hear these stories of other people. Yeah. And it really lifts the burden off the provider. I, I find that sustainable ability to serve others is about a, really what I think God has gifted me with the ability to mm -hmm. teach. And I like studying, <laughs> but uh, I get worn out too. Yeah. So I, to, I, get it totally right? um yeah I so be, yeah, yeah i mean you need to have fuel to be able to serve right and sometimes if you get burned out and i and i totally get that and that's why i think the communities are so powerful because also you can help more people in a shorter mm -hmm. amount of time and yeah i think that um i think a lot of the communities also it's really the hope aspect it's some of the my clients just kind of want to meet me for a pep talk or like like the mom accountability and i'm just like <laughs> I know you can even save your resources and even my time, right? Because there's other people in my, I guess, clients that can do that pep talk for you and you guys can become friends and your values guess are similar. Yeah. The person offering the encouragement, it gets better. The person receiving it gets better. It's, it is a real totally. And I, I found that there is nothing more. Uh, I can do this forever as long as I protect the places where my peak performance can't screw up. And that is with the sickest patient. If I'm trying to do peak performance all the way along, it's I, I'm a human. I can't do You're that. You're gonna burn out. Than, yeah. Right. Exactly. And I have been around enough women, moms, servers, providers, healthcare that they have, and they're great providers that said I give up. And had they found this sustainable model, which says I can't do all of that, 
but I can create this environment and supervise and be present for. Yeah. And that leaves this much more sustainable because everybody lifts a little bit of the weight for the yes. newbie, for the one who's failing, for the one who's struggling. And as long as that example and those boundaries stay really solid, uh, which I go through in the book saying, here's the rules of a good group. They're not long, but follow them. And I, it does work. So I'll love to hear if you do the group. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's the plan. I, it's just always big rocks and, you know, and life gets in the way. But the way I protect myself right now is just protecting eyes and ears so it doesn't get to my heart. So if that means mm -hmm. stepping away from social media for a little bit, I do that. Um, but I want to serve because I, like you were saying, um, that's what fuels me and gives me passion and purpose in life. Um, but it's not always easy to serve publicly, right? So sometimes I just need to take a break and that's okay, right? As long as I'm still here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, you're, you got the right plan. Oh, I'm so excited that we got to do this. Thank you for taking the yeah. time. I really, uh, if my, if my uh, clients have questions and stuff looking on your yes, page, please, please have them email me. I try to answer some questions. Um, I don't get to all of them, but don't say that. No, no, no. Just send them to a page because <laughs> you'll get burned out. There's a lot okay. of them. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So your book is a great resource. Thank you. That's where you should send them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Send them to your book. That's how that helps everybody. Everybody wins. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. We, we have to do this again and just, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this was, this was wonderful. Thank you. I hope you have a good weekend and I will share this and I'll, put this on YouTube and everything, and then I'll give you the links and I'll talk to y'all behind. That sounds good. That's awesome. Thank you. God okay. bless you. Okay, you too. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.